Good afternoon and welcome to week number five of the, and I don't think anybody will doubt this, the winter session of our Sunday School. Uh, we are doing Philippians, as you, as most of you will know. I doubt there's a new person that's, that's tuned in today and didn't know what we were doing, but we are in Philippians, and today we're starting the third chapter of Philippians, uh, and we've got one more chapter after this. So it should take us four more, four more weeks, and we will be through with the epistle, Paul's epistle to the Philippian church. Uh, we, we were afraid we weren't going to make it this week, but... Uh, God willing, we did, and, and uh, he was willing, and we were able, and so we are here and are, and are very glad of it. So let me open with prayer, and then we will start with our lesson. Gracious Father, we do thank you. We thank you, Father, that you made it possible for us to be here, that we can go ahead and, and videotape our, our Sunday school lesson, uh, and that we were able to do that safely. So we thank you for that, Father. We also thank you, Father, for all those people that uh, are involved uh, both here in, in Mississippi and in Texas and Alabama and, and really across the uh, most of the United States, uh, those people who are uh, whose ministry calls on them to to help those who uh, are suffering during the cold and perhaps do not have the resources to provide for themselves and and there are people who are ministering to them and we thank you, Father, for that ministry. Uh, we know I, I, I hear about a lot of them and I read about a lot of them, so I'm, I'm thankful for that because we know that. That most of us, in fact, we do uh, have the resources where we have warm homes and we have water and we have electricity uh, with some possible exceptions, and those, are, those exceptions are minor. But we thank you for that, Father, that we are, we are blessed to have those things and, and we don't take those for granted. Uh, Father, we ask that you would be with those who are yet to feel the, the effects of the storm that uh, may be up on the, on the East Coast and, and uh, uh, that uh, as the storm continue to move to east and then to north, uh, we pray for your mercy to those that uh, will encounter these freezing temperatures and the ice on the roads and so forth. And we pray your grace upon all of those uh, whose uh, problems might be um, exacerbated by the storm. Ask that you would be with us today and lead, guide us, and direct us in what you would have us to do and to say as we look at your word of truth. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, as I said, we are starting with chapter 3. This is the halfway point. There are, there are four chapters. Uh, we've finished chapter 2. Uh, we're now starting on chapter 3. So if you would, uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn to chapter 3 in, in Philippians, and we will start with the first verse. Paul, Paul uh, is, he starts off by saying, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things again is no trouble to me, and it is a safeguard for you. Second verse, he says, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. And then third verse, for we are the true circumcision who worship in the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. It's interesting that he starts this, this uh, uh, third chapter with the word finally. It's, uh, I'm, I'm, when, you, when, you, when you're in church, finally, you know, normally sometimes when you hear the preacher say after he's preached for about 45 minutes, and he, he finally, uh, he, he then says in his sermon, finally, my last point I want to cover, and he, you know, he, he goes on for another 30 or 40 minutes. 
Paul is not unlike that in that he's now in the third chapter and he starts the third chapter with finally, knowing that there's another two chapters to go, all of three and all of four. So he's got at least 40, maybe almost 50% of the epistle uh, to, to go, and he says finally. So, But uh, most of the commentators say that the word finally is, is commonly used as more as a transition word than it is to as a final word or to point to some conclusive uh, end to the to the epistle or to whatever's been written. So finally uh, is is beginning this chapter where Paul begins again by telling his brethren there in Philippi to rejoice in the Lord. And he goes on to say to write the same things again is is no trouble to me. I know that, that most of you probably have have uh, used the expression before I can't tell you enough how much I and uh, either don't like that or do like that or regret that or, or feel bad about that or, or whatever it may be. But it's a common way to introduce something when we're going to express uh, a point that we really want to make uh, to, to, to carry home, I guess it will. I, I guess Moby, certainly in my, my personal circumstance, I often say I can't tell you enough when I'm trying to stress how important it is what I'm trying to tell you. And Paul is doing the same thing here when he considers to repetition to be an important way to make the point that this is important for them to remember. Always rejoice. Keep that in mind. To write the same things again is no trauma. It doesn't bother me to tell you again and again and again and again to rejoice because that's a key element of who you are in Christ Jesus is that constant regarding. And of course he says it's a safeguard for you, meaning that if you keep in mind that state of being that you're constantly supposed to be in is that you, it will do you, it will serve you well uh, to remember that, to rejoice regardless of the circumstances. Uh, he goes on to talk about that in, in, in verse 2. He says, beware of the dogs, uh, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Uh, when I read this again, this, I'm always reminded of a sermon that I heard back in the, I guess it probably was in the, uh, the 80s. Uh, there was a, a black minister by the name of B.W. Smith, uh, who he was a pastor of a Baptist church in New York, Buffalo, New York. That's where it was, Buffalo, New York. And uh, he, had, he preached a sermon, and the title of the sermon was, Watch Them Dogs. And, of course, it was taken from Philippians, the third chapter, the second verse. Beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers. Now, his sermon went on, and I, I've listened to that sermon probably Oh, half a dozen or, or more times over the years because uh, it's a very interesting sermon uh, and, and very well done on his part in terms of trying to construct a sermon to talk about what Paul was talking about here and he tried to include uh, examples within, his, within the body of Christ and certainly specifically to the church that he was a pastor of uh, a Baptist church there in Buffalo, New York. But anyway, it was for those of you who would like to listen to that, and I would encourage you to because you will enjoy the sermon. You certainly will enjoy it. Uh, again, the man's name is B.W. Smith, and if you go on YouTube and just uh, put up there in the search block, uh, watch them dogs. Uh, that will come up. There have been many ministers since then who have come to that. They, they, they call it, a, it was awarded some prize at one time, someplace, sometimes in the, uh, all around the, 90s or whatever, it was awarded a national prize for being a classic sermon and being so well done 
uh, given the scripture and the topic and that kind of thing. So I, I think you will enjoy it. And it has been repeated by many pastors over the years. I've never heard it done by a white preacher, but I have done, heard it done by uh, several, if not a number of black preachers who have taken the same thing. And uh, it didn't plagiarize entirely. Uh, I can't recall a, a one of them having given given attribution to that, but they use it, and it's a good, and normally they do a good job. So anyway, I would commend, commend that to you and hope that you will go and listen to that. B.W. Smith Watch them dogs. And that's what Paul is telling the church here, is that it, watch those dogs. Now, dogs was not, the, the, the dogs that they're talking about in the context of the first century church is, are not the dogs that you and I think about today. Uh, they're not little poo-poo or little fluffy that everybody has a pet and they carry them around on their hip or, or they've got them at their, at their house and they sleep with them and all that kind of stuff. Uh, these are dog, dogs normally were found uh, most of the time, some are running the streets looking for scraps, and most of the time, most dogs were found out around uh, the dump, the outside the city where the dump was, where all of the things were taken, and perhaps they were able to find or, or to uh, survive out there better than they would because they weren't necessarily house pets. It was a rare occasion when somebody kept a dog as a house pet in those days. And dogs were used and it certainly as a pejorative. When someone was referred to as a, as a dog, uh, that certainly was a pejorative. Uh, we use the word today and we describe something completely different. When we talk call somebody a dog, uh, we're not talking about what that they were talking about here. And sometimes, they, even, even today, when we say, oh, he's a dog, we don't even consider that a pejorative. But it was a pejorative then, and certainly Paul was, was using a word that not only Jesus used it as an expression in referring to, to certain classes of people or certain people, and of course, Paul is using it here too. And of course, the people there at Philippi were known exactly who he's talking about. Beware of the dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Evil workers, of course, the, the ones that he's talking about here are those false teachers who have come into the church. They may have been the Judaizers who were already there and who were trying to bring in some of the rituals from the Jewish tradition. Or it may have been other people who were coming in and were trying to uh, to instill in the gospel that had been preached by Paul uh, some some different characterizations of, of how that might be may, may be placed or put. So Paul was telling them, beware of the dogs, beware of the evil workers, beware of the false circumcision. Now, of course, the false circumcision, again, refers to the Judaizers who were, were making a big deal out of that physical circumcision uh, and, and the evidence thereof as being important uh, for a true worshiper. And Paul is saying, we're, we're not, uh, our circumcision is not of the flesh. Our circumcision is an internal one. It's a circumcision of the heart uh, where sin has been removed uh, from, we have been removed from sin in the eyes of God. We have been imputed a righteousness of Christ uh, and his uh, righteousness. So we, that has been imputed to us and so we're not a circumcision of the flesh. So, that, that uh, Paul again is, is trying to reinforce as much as he can. Remember who you are. You, you have a special calling in Christ Jesus. You've professed your faith. You have a special calling. And a part of that calling is to always be rejoiceful no matter what the circumstances. Uh, we have a, uh, I guess, probably more than joy. We use the word in our, our vernacular more than any other word. It's that happiness. Everybody thinks they deserve some measure of happiness 
oh, I just deserve to be happy, or he deserves to be happy, or she deserves to be happy, or the children deserve to be happy. Happy is a matter of circumstance. It ha- or, or not circumstance, but happenstance. Ha- um, happy is all about uh, an emotion that you feel if everything is going your way. If, if you're uh, all of the things that you hope to come true or want to come true and, and all of those things are falling in place for you, perhaps you might be happy. But the joy that we feel as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ has nothing to do with happy. Uh, we can rejoice and we can have joy in who we are as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ and have joy in Christ and, and still not be happy, quote unquote. We can, we can truly enjoy having joy in who we are as part of the body of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's jump over to, to the uh, verse, uh, Philippians 3, verse 4. He goes on here to talk about himself in verse 4. He says, although I myself might have confidence, and this is sort of leading off of that, that thing about being happy and or, or, or the things that might bring you happiness, the things that might bring uh, some people joy that they, uh, they found did not. And here in verse 4, Paul says, although I myself have confidence even in the flesh, if anyone else has a mind to put confidence in the flesh, I far more. Paul's saying that there is... You know, if, if confidence in the flesh is what brings you joy, then I, probably more than anybody else, should have confidence in the flesh. But and then he goes on to talk about those things. He says, I was, on verse 5, he says, I was circumcised the eighth day of the nation of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee. Here he's talking about some of his birthright assets, things that he got as a result of being born. And then he goes on in verse 6 to say, As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. As to righteousness, which is the law, I was found blameless. Verse 7, he says, But whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as a loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. So Paul here is talking about, again, taking off on this idea of joy as opposed to happiness. And he's talking about all the things that might have made him happy, all of the things that he had going for him that might have made him happy. But when he found Christ, he found all those other things to be but rubbish. I think that... uh, uh, I, I, I noted here several of those characteristics that, that many would count as assets towards salvation even. Uh, there are many Christians today who count as a part of their salva- salvation assets the fact that they're, uh, perhaps that their parents were Christians or their grandparents were Christians or they come from a family of Christians or, or, or being a whatever. And Paul is saying, uh, I, I have some inherited, re- I was born into a Jewish family I was circumcised on the eighth day after birth. I, I wasn't one of those proselytites who were circumcised later in life, who, who came to the Jewish faith later, and, and as a result of that was circumcised later. He said, I also said I was, I was an Israelite, and which is the name of God's covenant people. So I, I was one of the original, uh, you know, part of the God's covenant people. Not not the original part of, of, the, of the Israelites, but he was an Israelite, which were a part of the covenant 
people from the very beginning. He's the tribe of Benjamin. You can't get any better than being the tribe of Benjamin, who that was the most, uh, supposedly the most, uh, I, I guess, faithful of the, of the tribe, of the ten tribes, because after the death of Solomon, there was a civil war of which Benjamin was the only tribe to join with Judah to stay in the south and to, to observe all of the proper sacrificial systems, whereas all of the other tribes went to the north, and of course they were started their own sort of false Judaism, if you will, and, and set up false altars and, and uh, were in violation of, of, of the law, certainly all of the laws that were specified in Leviticus 17. And then he goes on to say that, that, that finally, I'm a Hebrew. That's his birthright. He was a Hebrew, which comes all, all the way from Abraham. Then he talks about some of his earned assets, some of the things that he, he did himself, laying out his, his uh, bona fides, if you will. He says he's a Pharisee, which, of course, everyone you knew was the most faithful of all of the Jewish sects. Uh, that he was not only a Pharisee, he was a zealous Pharisee, uh, even to the point that when the Christian faith began, he was so zealous that he began... Uh, he saw them as blasphemers of God because what they were advocating was something that, that the Pharisees did not believe in. They didn't believe that Jesus was the Messiah. And so uh, Paul looked on the Pharise as a Pharisee, as, uh, was looked on them as blaspheming God because, God because Christ had in fact said that he, he and the Father were the same. He claimed to be God. And of course, because of that, uh, he not only... Uh, was against the church, but he was against uh, Christ. And he goes on to, to talk about uh, he persecuted the church even to the point of uh, having people killed or put in prison. And then he goes on and says, these birthrights and earned marks are certainly tremendous in the eyes of humanity, but he counted them all as lost in comparison to what Jesus did. I, I, when, I, when I read that, I, I'm reminded of, of uh, you know what we do a lot of in today's world is uh, I, I would say I'm not a fan of obituaries, but I certainly read obituaries quite often and because I look for certain things in obituaries. And, and, and certainly I, I, one of the things I look for is to what people, at least the survivors, maybe not the person, very seldom do you ever see an obituary that was written by the person who, who had passed on, uh, which makes me think maybe I need to do my own obituary. But many of the people who write obituaries, of course, want to key in on or focus on those things. They consider that the world that's left behind will find uh, admirable about the man who or woman who has passed. And so they dig up all of the stuff that they think is going to look great uh, in terms of this person's uh, biography, if you will, uh, in the newspaper where people are going to say, well, man, I didn't do half the things that person did, or, man, they must have been a great person, or, or wow, I wish I'd been kin to them, or, or, or so forth. And so this is what Paul is saying. You know, all of, these, all of these things that I have coming to me gives me every right. And if somebody had written my obituary before I became a Christian, then they probably would have put all that stuff down there, and everybody would have been envious of, of all of the stuff that I had going for me. Well, I'm not going to talk too much about obituaries, but, but I will say that, that most of the time when you read obituaries, uh, maybe not, maybe, maybe not you, but certainly I am. I'm often disappointed 
and the things that families choose to put in obituaries and the things that they choose not to put in obituaries. And sometimes in uh, most obituaries, the last thing that's included is the person's religious affiliation and what they see as, uh, you know, people who want to be, if they want to be remembered of, if you want to, if you want to send a contribution or you want to make, make a donation in memory to, and then they'll put down there so-and-so church or whatever it might be. And that's about all uh, that they will to give as, as perhaps that person's, uh, I guess, affiliation with or uh, his, his spiritual life. All right. I, I, that's enough of me talking about that. All right. But anyway, Paul, Paul is talking about all these things that I had going for me, all of these inherited assets and all these earned assets. And he says, very more than that, I, I count all these things to be lost. It's the, the word all things there, that he, the, the Greek word for that is panta, P-A-N-T-A. And Paul chose to use the word panta and in lieu of another word that, that means not, not all things, but these things specifically. And so Paul was not talking about these things specifically that he, was, that, that he had uh, counted as a loss, but he counted all things as a loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus his Lord. And so he, not only those things that he had, he had put in the scripture here about his inherited rights or his earned uh, assets, he said not, not only those things, but all things. There's nothing about me anywhere, shape, fashion, or form that is that even compares anywhere close to this vastly superior asset of, being, of knowing Christ Jesus and being in Christ Jesus. All right, so let's go now over to the truth of salvation in verse 9, 3, 9. Uh, this is an interesting verse in that it, it says so much in so little room there. Verse 3-9, oh, here we go. In verse 3-9, he says, And may be found in him, not having the righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. That is, if you, and, and I, I look through the commentaries, that particular verse, most commenters will, will say that, that this one verse is a comprehensive summary of the book of Romans as the truth of salvation. One verse covers everything that Romans cover as, in terms of the truth of salvation, rendered in that one verse. tells what right, and may be found in him. These things may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is brought through faith in Christ, the righteousness which come from God on the basis of faith, that imputation of righteousness that I receive. And we, it's, it's oftentimes talked about as being the double imputation. Uh, 2 Corinthians uh, 5.21 probably says it more clearly. It says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So we were imputed uh, to be, that, that, that Christ took our sins and placed them on himself, and then, and then God took Christ's righteousness and also placed it on us. So that's a double imputation there. And it's only by the imparted faith of God that any person can participate in this double imputation. One of the things that, that, uh, that the scripture tells us, and, and, and the verse I have written down here is, is from Romans uh, 12, 3. It tells us that God allots to each of us a measure of faith. And I, we mentioned that before. 
Uh, we were talking about this. We're given, each of us is given a, a measure. Uh, we're not told how much that measure is. Uh, the scripture leaves it certainly to implication or inference that everybody gets a different measure of faith. And so uh, my measure of faith may be less than your measure of faith, and somebody else's measure of faith may be uh, either far superior or, or less than my faith. And so, it's, but it's that measure of faith that gets us started uh, as far as our Christian life goes. And the faith that God gives us at, at, at this redemption, at the time that we are redeemed, is the cause of our being able then to trust and believe in him. And of course, Romans goes on in, in great length and Paul talks about that. All right, I want to jump now to, to Philippians, the third, the 10th verse, uh, which goes back actually to the 8th verse or brings up what was said in the 8th verse. But in Philippians 3.10, he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. And the 11th verse is, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, I want to, let me go back to the 8th verse. I want to read that again. So it puts the, all three of those verses together. Philippians 3.8 says, More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I might gain Christ. And then he goes on in, in verse uh, uh, 10 to say, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Now, Paul, Paul here is not talking about knowing the power that caused his resurrection, caused Christ's resurrection. But he's talking about the power of that resurrection working in himself, in Paul. Paul, Paul knows that once he came to saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he was granted a faith, and, that, and, and he's talking about that power, that power that comes from that faith, that resurrection power, which changed him from a, from a dead man to a live man. But he's, he's, as, he, as he says... Uh, I think in Corinthians he says, uh, uh, I died with Christ, but yet I live, but it's not I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so what Paul is talking about is that. He's been resurrected with Christ, and that resurrection power is what now is, is guiding him on a daily basis and getting and leading him towards that ultimate uh, uh, time where he will leave his his earthly body and been transformed into his heavenly body. So he, he takes that those three verses, 8, 10, and 11, and he's, he's, he says, I, I've been born again, but I didn't have to do anything. And he's, but, but I'm worried, but I, the thing that is, is that I'm praying about, the thing that I'm, I'm uh, focusing on is, is that I, I do the things using the, Christ, the resurrection power that has been given me, that I'm doing those things that enable me to, to continue that he, in order that I might attain to the resurrection from the dead. Okay, so Christ, uh, Christ has provided him power through his resurrection, and so he now is living on that resurrection power, and of course he's saying he, and, and he's hoping that daily he might get to know and, and build up his knowledge in Christ, and he's using that, as we talked about last week, I think, or the week before, is that salvation working itself out in Paul, uh, is that that's what he's talking about. He's working out his own salvation, 
with, through that resurrection power that was granted to him through the death of Christ and, of course, in, in his belief in that, that death and resurrection. And so that's what he's, he's using that resurrection power. And of course, he's asking himself daily, you know, has, is anything changing about me? Which is, of course, the same question that we, we ought to be asking ourselves. That's the, that, of course, is the intent of the verse. As, as, that, as Paul wrote those verses, he says, you know, you, you should work out, he's talking to the Philippian church, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And, of course, that's exactly what Paul is doing. He's working his, out his own salvation with fear and trembling, thinking about has that resurrection power that I have gotten in my <clears throat> rebirth, has it changed anything in me? And, of course, he's, of course he's saying that, it, that he, he wants it to in order that he might obtain the resurrection of the dead, that he might ultimately be conformed to Christ and, of course, uh, be with Christ in, in, in the kingdom to come. And, of course, that same question obviously applies to us. Has anything changed since you became a Christian? Have you, have you changed? Uh, is there anything drastically different about you? Are you in the process of being conformed daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, uh, into the image of Christ. And if you're not, if you, if you can't say that you are, uh, then I, 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 certainly I would submit that, that perhaps you, uh, it, it ought to be a, a priority interest in your, in your life that you think about that. Because as, as Paul is saying, that's, and, and as, as the Word says, you know, there's, there are going to be lots of people who think that this, this thing that they've built up over time, whether it be in their, the obituary that their family writes after they're gone, or whether it be in, the, in all of these social media things that they try to construct this, this vicarious existence of life, is that somehow that's going to make a difference. Well, Paul said, none of that makes any difference. The only thing that makes a difference is how God sees you in his eyes every day. And of course, uh, all of that stuff, of course, is going to be run back on, the, on that uh, that camera on uh, that, that we see, or that as we relive Judgment Day uh, on, in Christ's second second advent, when we stand before Him, and He's going to review uh, what our life has been like, and, and of course, not only here, but in, in many other places in the New Testament, uh, from Jesus to Paul to other writers in the new, of the New Testament books, uh, tell us is that there are going to be Folks who are going to be greatly disappointed, greatly disappointed that that uh, whatever was written in the obituary is meaningless. Whatever is on Facebook is meaningless. Whatever uh, somebody else here, whether the people you work with or the people you work for or or, or whatever, are, are the are the congregants in the congregation or the the members of the Sunday school class or whatever it might be, it matters not what anybody else thinks about you. The only thing that matters is what Christ thinks about you on that day. And of course, if you're, if, if, you're, if you're living in accordance with what Christ has ordained for you as a believer in him, is that you are trying to, on a, as, on a continuous basis, is you are trying to conform yourself to his image. And if you're not doing that, uh, it's never too late to start. Um, but, but that's what is going to be important, is how he sees you or has seen you in that day. And there's no doubt that there are going to be people who are going to be disappointed that, uh, you know, all those things that they thought were important turn out to be absolutely unimportant in the, in the decision that's made on that day. And so I just pray, I pray for not only for, uh, for all of us 
but but certainly all of those, all believers everywhere, uh, who might uh, uh, be thinking that they're on the right path, that they're doing the things that that they think is going to get them some uh, some points in that on that balance sheet. The balance sheet is not what it's all about. It's it's that circumcision that we have in the heart, where our heart is to be conformed to the image of Christ, and so. I encourage you if, you, if that's not where you are, that you get there as quickly as you possibly can. Uh, next uh, next week, I will do uh, finish off chapter 3, and then we'll do chapter 4. Gracious Father, do thank you again for this opportunity to be here today. We uh, we thank you that the uh, the weather forecast is, is better, and that, that the warmer weather is going to be uh, coming, and that uh, uh, folks will be able to get out and to get about and maybe go to the grocery store or uh, do things that they need to do uh, and, and to do those safely without fear of, of uh, uh, either falling down on the ice or perhaps uh, having an automobile wreck, wreck or something like that. So we thank you, Father, and we give you uh, praise and glory for, uh, for your care and your mercy and concern for us and your faithfulness to us. Uh, and indeed, Lord, you are faithful, and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.